everyone, and welcome to the Filene Fill-In. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. Filene Research Institute's namesake, Ed Filene, wrote the book Speaking of Change, in which he emphasized the importance of always looking ahead, never remaining stagnant, and keeping up with the ever-changing times. And at the start of each year, Filene takes a moment's pause to reflect and speak to our local credit union community to share the latest insights from our research and incubation and examine the changes we see on the horizon. If you are not able to join us live or you want a refresher on the topics we covered, this recording is for you. In a moment, you'll hear from George Hofheimer on our latest research report on the socioeconomic and technological trends impacting the 21st century credit union. You'll hear from Adam Lee on our first partnership with CMFG Ventures, testing the innovative approach and impact of income share funding. You'll hear from Courtney Angeli on developing problem solvers and not just product idea generators through a renowned I3 program. You'll hear from Lauren Culp on new mentorship opportunities to engage the next generations of credit union members and employees with the Cooperative Trust. You'll hear from Elri Armaza about how we're applying research and innovation support through our long-term engagements with credit unions. And you'll hear some overarching insights from CEO Mark Meyer and a reason to celebrate from our new Chief Experience Officer, Christy Kimball. So grab a coffee or a beer and let's listen in as George kicks it off. And we'll get started. Thanks everyone for making time on uh, such a hectic day after another snow day. Who is sick of snow days? Anybody who just raised their hand has kids. So. I love snow! <laughs> he doesn't have kids. No way! <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to spend about an hour together today uh, to talk a little bit about what Feline Research has been up to. But before we get started, I want to share a pretty amazing statistic that some of you may be aware of, some may not be aware of. And that is, we are living in the 21st century. What? It's true. It's true. And... Um, Living in the 21st century, um, we kind of have some perceptions about what that would look like um, way back in the day for, for people that were born last century and last millennia, like myself. Um, you kind of had perceptions of what the 21st century would look like. And we're living it here and now, yet there's some things that are occurring in our marketplace that are very exciting and also very scary. So the purpose of today's uh, event is to share with you some research that we've done, and actually everyone in this room has helped fund, because if you look at our member impact report on the back page, most of everyone's organization is represented here. So what we're gonna do today is go through some of the research that we've conducted to help prepare credit unions, whether you're a natural person credit union or a support organization, to help them prepare for the 21st century. Now, the payoff for you is that you're going to be able to get some tidbits and knowledge or contacts from some of my colleagues that are going to be joining me up on stage <coughs> to help you take some of the research that we have and apply it to your jobs so that you can serve your members better, whether your members are credit unions or whether your members are credit union members. Sound good? Okay, so the process is, I'm just going to kind of stage uh, the research, tell you a little bit about why we decided to look at this topic of the 21st century credit union, and I'm going to invite some colleagues up, but the most important thing is to hear from you, is to kind of emulate the discussions that we have <laughs> at Feline every day, where we try and talk about the future of credit unions. So in order to do that and get us started, I'm going to pose a question to you. Two questions. First question is, 
for the 21st century, what do you think credit unions are super well prepared for? The 21st century. That was a sigh I heard over there. What are credit unions super well prepared for in the 21st century? This is the audience participation portion of the, of the session, so. Cooperating. What's that? Cooperating. cooperating. Give, me, give, me some, uh, give me some examples of cooperation. What's your name, by the way? Uh, I'm Ben. Ben. I'm the snow guy. There you go. There you go. See, if you participate, you get swag. You guys seeing what's going on here? So tell us about cooperation. Um, I guess just following the cooperative principles that's been ingrained so long within credit unions, um, whether that's uh, between credit unions, uh, with other organizations. Um, I know it's a really general answer, but like that's what my first thought was, like, what do we do well, what do we know already? Yeah. So do, do you see it in a specific uh, specific examples that, that you've seen in the credit union system? Uh, definitely. Uh, I work on compliance, and to be able to address compliance, it's really great when leagues, credit unions can all work together. Um, the more resources and knowledge that they're sharing with how they address regulations, um, the better it is. For example, like the compliance, uh, we have a compliance community where they can all collaborate, come together, uh, whether this is like uh, a league or credit union. Um, all of it is in one place, so I see that being a really uh, a great strength. Great, and, and you probably typically don't see that in other parts of the financial sector. So flipping the question on its head, what do you think credit unions are not prepared for as we uh, embark and are already in the 21st century? So that's that one bit of knowledge that you can bring back to your to your supervisor. You say, in, in this session with Feline, I learned that we're in the 21st century. Um, what, do you, what do you think credit unions are unprepared for? Technology. What's that? Technology. Okay. Is that Jen back there? There you go. Right. Give me, give me, give me a little bit more uh, specific than technology. The digital platform, how members, especially the smaller credit unions, need and want to access their information, not necessarily through brick and mortar, but through our smartphones. Yes. Yeah. Things are changing. Expectations of consumers are changing. So if it's as easy to get a, a refrigerator uh, ordered on Amazon today and have it delivered on your front door tomorrow, why can't I get my mortgage in the same simplistic way, right? In two days. In two days. Or one if you've got an Amazon pickup point. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you just go to the locker on University yeah. and get your mortgage, yeah. right? Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, we've got somebody else here that wants some swag. I'm diversifying or broadening their portfolio, so I'm looking at what they're offering today versus what they need to be offering in the future and be open to allowing partners versus something that they want to be good at themselves. Yeah, so, so like this notion of, hey, we're going to build everything that we offer to our members, or do we start to partner with other organizations, which gets back into Ben's uh, discussion about this notion of cooperation. You can give that to somebody if you don't want it. So thanks, everyone, for kind of uh, getting everything started. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be interesting to... Uh, just kind of look at it from a historical perspective of meeting the 21st century uh, demands. Uh, there's not there, there's a historical analog to all of this. Uh, anybody here uh, around in 1934? <laughs> Mark Meyer, where are you? Are you, are you out there? He's, 
Uh, but it, around the, 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 the mid-30s, we had lived through a, a financial crisis, you know, the, the, the Great Depression. And similarly, in 2008, we lived through the Great Recession, um, which had some serious dislocations within the financial services sector. And a lot of people in the research community call this a structural break from the past. So the stuff that made you successful or the rules of the road, there's this break in time, usually caused by some external event that caused an industry that there needed to be change. So as we were conducting this research, we saw a lot of similarities between what happened in 2008 and 1934. Now, in, or in, in the late 20s, and then in 1934, we had the, the, the generation of the Federal Credit Union Act, which enabled credit unions to really grow and infect, uh, the, uh, in, in a very good way, the lives of, of everyday Americans. Um, so we, we found ourselves looking at these historical analogs and saying, you know, maybe there is a refreshing of that Credit Union Act that needs to be considered. Um, and we're very lucky here to have uh, Taylor Nelms. Where's Taylor? Taylor. Taylor is our new senior director of research. He moved here, get this, from Southern California. <laughs> and I think he loved the first snow, and now he's like, this is really not a very good idea. Um, so you, you can kind of see, you can see on this, on this slide uh, in, in, in back of me, a lot of the similarities and differences uh, between what was going on in those two periods of time. And it causes us to rethink about, like, what models do we need to think about from both a regulatory perspective, but also from a business model perspective. So that's really what we're going to talk about today. And in order to do that, rather than going through a slide deck and talking to you about all of the research findings, what I thought I would do would uh, be to invite some of my colleagues up here to talk about some of the work that they're doing on a micro level that helps prepare credit unions for the 21st century. Uh, but before I do, I just want to recognize the rest of the Feline staff that's here. If, if you guys could just stand up uh, for us so that everyone gets a sense of, of who we are. We are a small but mighty team um, of around 30 individuals. And uh, everyone here is, is here to help serve you and your needs. Everyone in this room is a member of our organization. And without you, we wouldn't be able to do the research that we're about to talk about. And we wouldn't be able to kind of help you do your jobs in a better way. So if you see these folks, please, after the session, uh, shake their hand, give them a high five, have a little chat with them because the resources that we have at our disposal can help you do your jobs better. So with that, I'd like to invite my colleagues, Adam Lee, Lauren Culp, Courtney Angeli, and Elri Armaza up to the stage. So the way that we're going to structure this conversation is to be as organic as possible. But what I'd like to do just first is to kind of give you an understanding of who these people are. You may know some of them. Um, others we try and keep in the basement and, and away from the public. I'm not pointing to you, Adam. Uh, but uh, each of them is focused in on creating products, services, or business models to help credit unions prepare for that 21st century. So what we have up here are some slides that are affiliated with the research that we've done. And I've asked each of them to kind of comment on the work that they're doing today and how it applies to help preparing credit unions for the future. So we will actually start with, with Adam. And uh, one of the trends that, that we looked at that's essential for credit unions to understand, five of them are listed. These are the five major ones. But the one that Adam wanted to talk about was this concept of inequality, both from an income, a wealth, and an access perspective. So tell everyone who you are and some of the stuff that you've been working on lately. Cool. Thanks, George. 
This is going to yes. be great. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you. I'm the incubator director at Filing Research Institute. And what that does, it has nothing to do with chickens. A lot of people always are very fascinated with the job title. But fundamentally, what it is that we do is seek, test, and scale ideas that we believe can make a difference in the lives of consumers. And we're proud to do that with credit unions in a variety of ways. We just got done with our Reaching Minority Households Incubator. We're able to partner with Visa, the Ford Foundation, to look at five different concepts that was really about closing that financial access gap for households of color. And something that I'll spend a little bit more time on is an exciting opportunity that we just started with CUNY Mutual Group Ventures. So anybody from the team here, from the Ventures team? Yeah, there they are, Laura, Sam, awesome, thank you guys. We are really excited to start this partnership with the CMFG Ventures team with this idea of seeking out, testing, and scaling promising ideas by taking a look at some uh, concepts that are currently within their portfolio, but also ideas that may be outside of their portfolio that we mutually agree can all make a difference in the lives of consumers. We're very excited to partner with them on that. Working with the CMFG Ventures team, we actually picked this concept. We're going to have an inaugural test with them on a concept in their portfolio called Align. Is anyone familiar with the Align product or the organization Align? So Align, thank you, thank you, Ryan. Yes, very good, Team Filene, there we go. <laughs> the Align concept is an income shared agreement, an income sharing agreement, all right? So let me give you a little example to explain what an income sharing agreement is. Now, anyone in the room here have maybe uh, children that are heading off to college, anyone at all? George. <laughs> Funny, that should happen. Very interesting. So uh, proud papa here. His uh, youngest son, Milo, is off to the University of Minnesota. Golden Gopher, right? For a yes. dance program. Very excited about that. Yeah. Very lucrative dance program. Very lucrative <laughs> dance program. We don't have to worry about nope. income earnings or anything like that. We'll, we'll get to that. Good stuff. So imagine four years from now, five years from now, when Milo George is done with college and he amazingly comes out with only $10,000 in college debt. Yes. Right? Nice job. Proud papa. It's all George. So that $10,000, he's probably going to be going into the career in dance. What are the job opportunities for dance immediately out of college? Waiter. <laughs> Barista and cruise ship. Got it. Yeah. So if I want to consolidate those loans in a traditional, say, credit union refinance type program, is he going to be paying off those loans right away? Probably not. Who's going to be paying those loans right away? Um, me. Probably. All right. So what if we had another opportunity for you and Milo to be able to say, let's take that $10,000 and we'll sign an agreement. And in that agreement, I'll give Milo the $10,000 that he can pay off his student loans right away in exchange for an agreement to be able to say that for the next five years, I get 5% of his income. Now, if Milo right out of college isn't making any money at all, his payment is zero. If he ends up hitting it on Broadway and he's making millions of dollars a year, that's 5% of a million dollars, right? So it's this gamble that I'm taking as a lender to be able to say, I want to bank on Milo's success. And this is what I love about the income sharing agreement, is that there is an imperative for the financial institution, or a line in this case, to help Milo be successful. Because when Milo's successful, I as the financial institution am successful as well, because I'll get a higher resort on my income. Now, this concept of an income sharing agreement is not new. It's been around since 1955. Milton Friedman actually suggested this idea. Nobel Prize winning Nobel, uh, Milton Friedman, right? That's legit. That's legit, right? Nobel Prize. So in the UK, they actually have the income sharing agreement as well, and they call it a human capital loan. 
human capital loan. Doesn't that sound really credit union-y? Human capital loan. And it gets to this idea of investing in people. What are credit unions doing to shift the focus from, say, collections, how do we take that money from our consumers, to how do we invest in consumers? How do we make sure that they're successful as well? So this concept of an income-sharing agreement, I think, ties directly to some of these trends that were highlighted in the 21st Century Report. And I want to focus on two of them today, all right? So as George hinted at income volatility, let me drop some knowledge bombs on all of you here. 20% of all workers are contract workers currently, estimates. And in the next 10 years, a majority of workers will have temporary or contingent jobs. Thinking about that. A majority of people will have perhaps multiple gig jobs. Lyft, Uber, Uber drivers. 32% of consumers report monthly income volatility. 32%, a third of our population has a financial strike that puts their financial health at uh, risk. 60% of households experience at least one financial stock track per year. And this one's going to blow your mind. 77% of low to moderate income households say that financial stability is more important than financial mobility. Did you hear that, George? Yes. You know what the sound of that was? I don't know. That was the sound of the American dream being sucked out of this room. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I say that kind of as a slight joke, but let me say that again. 77% of low to moderate income households say that financial stability, just getting by day to day is more important than my sense of social mobility, that I want to build a better life for myself, my family, and my community. Three quarters of low to moderate income populations are losing the belief that they can have a better life. That's a problem. That's a huge challenge. Let's talk about inequality. This is just going to, this story is going to keep getting better. Let's talk about inequality and the growing number of financially vulnerable populations. Let's talk about some other stats that are highlighted in this report. Wages for the bottom 50% of earners have remained flat for the past 40 years. You've been busting your hump for 40 years and you haven't got a, uh, an increase in your wage or a, ra or a raise, um, accounting for inflation. Think about that. Think what that does to someone's psyche. One in five households of negative net worth. A Pew Research study in the 19, uh, since the 1980s stated, since the 1980s, virtually all increases in wealth have gone to the highest end of the income spectrum. In 2013, the median net worth of these upper income households was almost, wait for it, 70 times that of the median net worth of lower income households and seven times that of middle income households. Does anyone have a sick feeling in their stomach? I know I do when I think about these statistics. And at the end of the day, we all believe probably in this room that it's, not a, it's a moral imperative to take care of it, that credit unions can address some of these statistics, this growing inequality, the growing income volatility. I really do believe that it is a moral imperative that we do it, but here's the first main point and takeaway that I want to emphasize to everyone in the room, that it's not just a moral imperative, it's a business opportunity. And I dare say that the very stake of survival of credit unions and the credit union movement is on credit unions addressing these issues of inequality. It's not a choice of a moral imperative, but it's a business imperative that credit unions start to address that. All right? And that's simply because if we think about the old way of doing things, income inequality, what's it leading to? How does the traditional loan model work when you go into apply for it? You may put down your income. Well, what do you go down to put in that little box of what your monthly income is if you're having a bunch of gig jobs? You don't know what that is. It, the piping of credit unions start to break down when people can't save. The whole system of credit unions start to break down when people can't apply for loans or let alone pay back those loans. So it's vitally important with ideas like Align 
where credit unions are investing not in the short-term transactions of people of meeting their immediate day-to-day needs, but they're making long-term investments that individuals can make a better life for themselves. Let me just take one quick quote here from the report that I think sums it up. If a credit union is to have sustainable financial performance, the membership has to have a solid economic base. Don't we believe that intuitively? That if we invest as credit unions and our members, that credit unions, they'll take care of us, right? That's vitally important. Here's the second main point. So if that's the problem, credit unions wake up to these demographic shifts that are happening in the world, what do credit unions do about it? And this is the second main takeaway that I wanna leave with all of you, is that the old way of doing things, the old way of doing business, of loans and savings, it's changing. These factors are changing the game that credit unions have operated in since 1934. So credit unions need to come up with a new way to meet this new era of consumer needs consumer realities like income volatility and income inequality. And the way that we can believe that I believe that credit can do that is through experimentation, having an agile mindset to be able to meet the rapidly changing needs of consumers. And that's where I think Filene's incubator and our tests with Kinuichu Group Ventures comes into play. That if we can put some of these ideas to the test to see what works, what doesn't work, and help get the best ideas in the hands of consumers, credit unions can start to credit unions can start to address uh, some of these challenges. Cool. So, in in uh, Adam's job description is um, solve I- income inequality in this country. <laughs> so uh, we're hoping that he won't be uh, uh, working for us in ten years. So that you know, because the, the the notion of credit unions helping to solve for income inequality by coming up with really creative ideas uh, like the like the Align and, and a few others that we'll talk about a little bit later. So thanks for that, Adam. We're going we're gonna to move over to uh, your, your colleague uh, and my colleague, uh, Lauren Culp. Lauren, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then you've decided to kind of focus in on the precarious future of work as one of the trends that you'd like to talk about. Great. Thanks, George. Yeah. Well, my name is Lauren Culp. I am the Cooperative Trust Manager over at Filene. And similar to Adam's title with the incubator manager that or director that requires a little bit of explanation. So how many people are, are already aware of what the cooperative trust is? Show of hands. Okay. Good number of you. How many of you have heard of the Crasher program? Yes. Awesome. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, or if you raised your hand and you actually don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a quick overview of uh, what those things are. So first of all, I'll talk about the CRASH program really briefly because that's kind of one of the parts of the Cooperative Trust. The CRASHER program is designed for young professionals and credit unions. And for some events, we also take some CUNA or CUNA Mutual Group people along. Um, But it's designed for young professionals. If you're wondering if you're a young professional or not, you're probably not. Just kidding. But we say about 35 and under uh, is the kind of general guideline. But if you're 35 at heart, we'll take you to. And so the kind of the idea behind the crash program is that young professionals a lot of times don't have the same access to attend conferences in our industry that some of the more senior leaders have. And so when they are kind of trying to develop in their careers and they're trying to grow actually being able to attend a conference is a really great way to do that. So the CRASH program gives those people a scholarship to go to the conference. So it's a lower cost. It's a, you know, a little bit of an easier burden for the credit union to send them. 
And when they're there, they go to all the conference sessions, but they also go to their own crasher sessions that are designed with some professional development, with networking opportunities, with some educational content to really help get them up to speed and to kind of accelerate their careers in credit union land. So it's good for all of us when we see the next generations of talent start to get developed and become kind of a really like plausible next step in our leadership pipeline. So that's the Crasher program. We crashed a whole bunch of conferences. We've got the CUNA councils. Um, we crashed a, a good handful of those. This year, I think our total number is going to be 12 crashes, so 12 different conferences. One of those um, being this little conference you've probably never heard of, the GAC. <laughs> what even is that? <laughs> Just kidding. So the GAC is the really, really big one, and so we're actually um, really excited that CUNA has generously agreed to bring 100 crashers this year to the GAC. I know. That's, like, worthy of a round of applause. So the GAC, um, that was actually our first crash back in the day. So 2010 was the very first one, and it was just a little ragtag group of people. And the name Crasher kind of derived from pretty much what you would expect. So if you think about the things that crash, you crash a wedding, you crash a party. And it's the same idea that young professionals, especially at some of these conferences that are really devoted to senior leaders and to board members, young professionals weren't really invited or expected to attend. So going to one of these conferences, they felt like they were crashing because they weren't really the target audience. They weren't really expected to, in some cases, wanted to attend. And so it's really exciting that we're up to um, our 10th year at the GAC crashing. And so, gosh, you go to this cool conference, you're a crasher, and what do you do when you go home? Hopefully there's some way to stay in touch. And so that's really what the Cooperative Trust is all about. It is the online community and all of the things that are attached to that for any young professional in the credit union industry to collaborate with one another, to network, to talk about best practices and tips and any of the sort of um, development things that they might not have gotten out of that exact event that they were at. And we call it the Cooperative Trust, and I've gotten some questions. You might be wondering why, why the name Cooperative Trust. And if you think about like what a trust account is, a lot of times it holds money for the future. And so we kind of view the Cooperative Trust the same way. We're seeing young talent really cooperating, and they're getting developed. And we're kind of holding this talent here as we're waiting for them. And in a lot of cases, they're already leaders. But as they're getting developed, they really kind of carry the torch forward for credit unions. Great. And we'll have a chance to kind of talk about some of the insights that you've learned from all of those conversations with crashers about what it means to be a credit union employee and then just generally speaking, that next generation of consumers, what it means to, to be a, a worker in today's world and how that's changing. So thanks a lot, Lauren. Um, next, we're going to flip over to Courtney and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit uh, more uh, now about the technology trends. So these are the, some of the trends that are listed up here uh, that really focus in on, you know, these are the things that are going to impact how credit unions deliver what they deliver to their to their members. And Courtney's decided to kind of focus in on this access on the go thing and relate that back to the stuff that she's working on. So Courtney, why don't you share a little bit about that? Thank you very much, George. I appreciate it. You should maybe switch him. Yeah. Teamwork right there. Uh, thank you, George. 
Um, so excited to be here. My name is Courtney Angeli, and I am the Director of Communities and Events for Filene. So uh, what that means is I have the great privilege of working with credit union professionals across this wonderful country, uh, as well as Canada, to help teach them innovation methodologies that will really help to solve the problem that Lauren was sharing a little bit about in terms of getting our professionals ready for the next steps in their careers. Um, and I do that through our I3 program, which stands for Ideas, Innovation, and implementation. And a lot of what we do, in fact, I would argue that a lot of what we do in I3, a lot of the projects and problems that we come to solve um, all relate to the trends that you see up here. So everything that we expect to happen, our I3 teams, our innovation teams are actually actively trying to solve some of these big problems uh, that we're facing. So... I'll just Great. start with that. Absolutely, yeah. And you have so much to, to talk about as it relates to what the I3 teams are working on. I'm sure people are curious about that. So we're going to get to that in a sec. That's great. Now, next, your colleague, Elri Armaza. Um, he uh, is all about the data. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on with credit unions and, and data. Seems like data is everything that everyone is talking about now and why it's important into the future. Absolutely. Thank you, George. Uh, I am Elri Armasa. I am the Customer Research Director at the Institute. I've been with Filene for four years, and that is my first official year dedicated to these type of projects. When you think about costume research, um, I will explain what I do in a day-to-day -day basis, uh, sometimes overnight and uh, over weekends thinking about how to answer questions. But uh, first, I want to ask you, when you grab a journal, when you're thinking about a Harvard Business Review, when you're thinking about Deloitte papers or a Filene report, what are some of the things that you have in mind? What is your objective when you grab one of these publications? Curious to hear from at least three people. Learn how others are operating and working. Okay. Learn how others operate um, oh, and they work. Perfect. You ready, Heidi? Okay. <laughs> Almost. Interception. So you are uh, three, four, one? Three passes completed, one yeah. interception? Yeah. <laughs> Chief knowledge officer rating of 52.5. That's right. Who else? And Taylor is taking notes. We're, we're making this part of our journey uh, mapping session. What is your objective when you think about research? Sparking ideas. Sparking ideas? Yes. There we go. Yes. That's a microphone. Um, I'm generally looking for any major. Oh, it's a mic. Very cool. <laughs> I'm generally looking for any major moving trends in the industry. Trends, looking for ideas, inspiration. Certainly. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. What we do in the custom research arena is bringing those things to a more specific focus. So. Think about what is the most important thing that I want to learn and how do I translate that piece of information and apply it to my organization or to me personally. Um, through customer research, we're able to answer the specific question that you're after. We formulate those uh, questions and hypotheses that you really want to get to and help you translate that information into your decision-making process. We're here to truly bring the truth at the micro level um, that you are interested on, which is really exciting. Uh, we've been doing that for a number of years. Many of you probably didn't know that. And you will start to see more of these type of projects that are specific to what credit unions are doing. 
Related to data, many of the questions that we receive from credit unions start with, we have been collecting these for a long time, or we have seen these trend uh, nationwide. What does that mean for the seven states or the seven counties or the seven states where our credit union operates? We can help you get to some of those uh, points. Talking about benchmark, we talk about um, this is happening in the servicing industry. What is happening in the banking industry as a whole, and how do we compare that to credit unions of our size that we consider our peers? We can really get to that level of detail um, and really help you sort through your data. Many of the projects that we have been working on start with, show us what you have. Uh, let's conduct some qualitative uh, research where we do some sort of focus groups or interviews with your internal team or members. Uh, we look at people that are prospective members in your market, and um, likely we get to play with those numbers, um, bring a qualitative uh, sense to translate all the things that we're observing and produce a report that um, can help you make those decisions in your executive team level or truly implementing some of these initiatives at the credit union. Great. So gives you a little bit of a flavor of what the, the team is working on from a product side, from a talent development side, from a competency perspective, and then also from the individual research uh, perspective of, of individual institutions. So I'd love to open it up for questions, but uh, recognize that you know, maybe we need to get, get things started. So Courtney, I'm going to ask you the first, the first question. Um, when you think about uh, consumer expectations, and uh, I think Jen had mentioned it. I think Jen's gone. She took her t-shirt and left. <laughs> Um, she was talking about just the, the notion of changing expectations of consumers. What are some of the things that the I3 teams uh, are working on? So these are executives at credit unions across the country that are tasked with coming up with product services and business models. What are, what are some of the things that they've been working on? Uh, that's a great question. So I'm going to actually kick it off with explaining a little bit about how the innovators are coming to solve these problems. Uh, it's not just that they think it's a problem. They actually take a good amount of time to gather insights around a particular solution, or excuse me, a problem that they think could be a potential issue that people are facing um, in their credit unions and in, this in these organizations. Um, so the focus is truly on the human problem. So getting down to the nitty gritty, you know, what is your member experiencing that's creating friction? What are they experiencing that might be causing frustration? What points of delight are they feeling? They're really getting down into understanding the member and the very real needs that they have. So that's where we always start when we begin the innovation process. And what that really lends to is solving problems that our members actually want us to solve for them which is key. So a few things that are in the pipeline right now, especially as they relate to some of the trends that you see up here, um, I'm actually going to start with one for access on the go. You mentioned earlier that that's one of the areas I'm going to focus on. Um, how many people here, just by a show of hands, um, have logged into their mobile banking for their credit union and only their credit union this week? Okay. Um, how many people have gone into a branch this month? Awesome. And I'm curious, of those that have gone into the branch this month, is anybody willing to share uh, whether it was transactional or whether you actually went in for another purpose aside from completing a transaction? Shout it out. Like, just to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe of conversation. Maybe it was for some advice. Maybe you're ma needing to make a financial decision. Um, seeing a financial advisor. Anyone? A couple? Okay. Awesome. 
What was, what was, what was yours? I just went to get cash. You went to get cash. Cash. How about you? Deposit cash. Deposit okay. cash. So. What do you got? I got a new debit card. Hey, congratulations. You want to show everybody? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so part of why this is important is this idea that the branch isn't dying. Technology is changing. It's evolving. You're still going to go to the branch for very real reasons. Um, we don't believe cash is going to disappear. Getting a debit card the day you need it, I think, is one of the best conveniences as consumers that we have nowadays, considering most of us use plastic. Um, but one of the big problems we face, going back to access on the go, that we hear so often in credit union land is the challenge with opening up memberships in general, whether it's opening up the membership and then the accounters opening up the membership. It's hard for members to switch. Sometimes they start the process, they don't finish. Um, so what one of our I3 groups is actually looking to solve is how to create an experience where members can actually apply for membership using <coughs> their phone only. Um, hopefully done in two to three minutes. I'm not sure where this is going to go, but it definitely fills that need, especially if we think about uh, how consumers want things and how quickly they want them. They don't want to wait. They want their account open now. Yeah. And uh, I think that's good for all credit unions. So. Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, talking with a group of graduate students at a, at a, a well-known university and talking about an innovation that uh, came out of a credit union, Washington State Employees Credit Union, uh, where they have a digital lending platform. It's only mobile, and it's, it tries to replace payday lending. And the, um, the tagline, basically, of the solution is six clicks in 60 seconds. Basically, you go through six screens, you get a decision, and you get funding within 60 seconds. What do you think the reaction of the students was to that innovation? What's that? They probably said it was awesome. A few did, yeah. Too many screens. Too slow. Too many. Six is way too many, and 60 seconds is way too slow. So you know, when, when, when we talk about this, this is the tension that, that credit unions have to deal with. It's that, that tension between risk management and meeting consumer needs. So. And I would also say that you know we talk so often about millennials and what millennials want. Well, we're here. <laughs> we're already working. We're already kind of dictating some of these challenges. Uh, we should be talking about Gen Z because if we think millennials want things fast, Gen Z is going to want them even faster, and they're probably going to be less patient <laughs> with yeah. waiting. Let's talk about Gen Z then. <laughs> Let's talk about them because you know that you know how old the oldest millennial is now. 36. That's old, right? That's so old, Lauren. So tell us, so you interact typically with credit union employees that are in their early 20s, mid 20s, up through the 30s. What are some of Yeah, so like what are some of the insights that you're hearing from them uh, about what it's like to work in credit unions? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? And what are their frustrations? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we're really seeing is what we call kind of the precarious future of work. And if you want to learn more about that, it is in this report. And it's it's this really interesting notion. So foundationally, kind of what's going on in our country, and I would argue in kind of the global economy marketplace, is that folks are not <coughs> expecting to work at the same employer their entire career. And we're... My grandfather, for example, he worked at Sears for 30 years and retired with a pension. And he, well, Sears pension, maybe not the best. <laughs> we know what's happening now. <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, 
older expectations were that people would stay at the same employer, they would have a pension, they would retire, and that was it. And what we're seeing now is people don't expect that. In fact, most employees are starting to view themselves as a brand, as a kind of a business. You have your own skill sets, you have your own assets, you might have to market yourself as this kind of business that can provide your services to your employer on almost a short-term basis. So we're seeing a lot of people expecting to change jobs in three to five years. And these trends are even more exacerbated among people of color, among women, and among young people. And so these are really those demographics that credit unions can do a really good job serving. But from a talent perspective, too, we have to be really cognizant of what their expectations are. And so as people come to these conferences and crashers are coming I think there, a lot of us will graduate with this idea that you want to change the world and then quickly you realize that it's, your choices are get a paycheck or save the world, change the world, right? You kind of have to, the idea is that you might have to go to like a foreign country, spend some time in the Peace Corps or something like that to really make a difference. But when we start to tell the credit union story, especially as employees in this really, really wonderful system, as we start to tell the story, these young people who maybe didn't realize your nine to five job, your business acumen, all is really put towards your part of this greater picture that is really changing the world and changing people's lives. And I think that really resonates with them. So it's about telling our story in that way. And so I was a crasher myself. Actually, you have two past crashers on the stage here. Uh, Courtney and I both crashed the GAC in 2016. 16. That is correct. Time goes by. I know. Yeah. So um, Courtney and I both crashed in. Courtney, I'm curious your experience too, but mine as a crasher, you know, I worked at a credit union for about five years and it was literally my nine to five job until I was done with college. And then I was like, well, I'll probably get a real job. <laughs> and when we, when I crashed and I'm curious about you too, when I crashed, it was this mind boggling, like you open your eyes, there's the open your eyes campaign. You really open your eyes to what credit unions do. It's not just a nine to five job, but it becomes a career. And that's the sort of impact that we're seeing that the crash program has. Yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, I, I tease people that I ugly face cried the moment it was over. My husband was like, how was your week? And I'm like, oh my God, it was so great. I think we're going to have to move to Wisconsin. And the joke is that we lived in Southern California and I actually moved to Wisconsin for this movement um, because of what crash did for me. It, um, you know, so often as a young professional in the credit union space, I was at my credit union for seven years before coming to Filene. Uh, you hear a lot, you know, you're not ready, you're not ready, but not always... It's not always concrete. There's not always something that you can actually take away from that to work on to actually be better. Uh, and what the crash experience gave me was was that you're not ready, and it changed that. I can now network. I can talk to people. I can be in a room and be really uncomfortable, but still achieve a goal that I need to achieve. Uh, and crash really was instrumental in that for me. So, yeah. So, oh, sorry. Um, just just to kind of link, link that with some of the stuff that that Elry's doing. It's like the, you know this concept of uh, the the intersection of uh, kind of pro-social types of community development initiatives that credit unions have traditionally been good at, but maybe have forgotten in the, in the recent past. And the notion that younger people are really interested in taking their business acumen and helping solve social and community problems. You're working on a, on a project with a credit union in uh, Iowa uh, that's trying to measure this. Maybe like spend a minute just sharing what, what, what you're trying to do there and maybe some implications for what that means for the system. Excellent. I'll be careful without um, 
breaking any confidentiality agreement or, yes. or data that we're collecting. Um, there is this one credit union in the state of Iowa interested on um, measuring the well-being of their members and compare, compare that benchmark against non-members. We're not asking questions about um, how was the experience at your credit union versus your current bank. Uh, we are truly measuring social ties. We're looking at rates of savings. Really interested on health, um, how strong do they feel a connection with their community, and understanding what are some of those elements of financial well-being that credit unions can do better. Uh, talk about a proactive social approach and how humbling for them to start realizing in these five different segments on how we're switching or cutting our, um, our state, how do we compare and how do we perform um, in delivering well-being for our community. Yeah, so so kind of trying to reach for that, um, you know, being a credit union member, it may be a, a marker, an indicator for a healthier person, uh, financially uh, a more uh, well uh, individual. So that's that's exciting stuff. Um, I'm gonna throw it out to the audience, uh, but as, as you all are thinking of questions, Adam, I want you to drop about a 30 second bomb on what's a moonshot program for credit unions to better, so, better serve um, uh, underserved populations? Well, these things called infinity stones, and we get all six of them, <laughs> I can snap my fingers and end poverty. Okay. So that's, that, that's is no, okay. that is a moonshot. That is a moonshot. So the, the, the thing that I think comes to my mind is this notion of, and Miss Angela Russell out here, we have lots of brain jam sessions, and I think she's my very good friend. Can I call you my very good friend? Is that okay? Yeah, thanks. Okay, great. So, <laughs> so we have really great conversations, and the thing that keeps coming up consistently in these conversations is the idea about going more upstream. So much of credit union services today I would call reactionary. It's about meeting day-to-day -day needs in a very transactional way. But what are credit unions doing to set a better foundation for their members in the long run? And there's a lot of studies out there, some of the things that I'm most intrigued about, some studies with Raj Chetty thinking about what are those determinants of poverty? Like what, is, what causes someone to get into a situation um, where they're struggling fin uh, financially? And a lot of that comes through zip code, place. Where you start in life matters more so than so many other determinants, your family's income and wealth. So it's this idea of credit unions helping a member on the journey from birth to death of helping them along that financial journey, I think is really amazing. And if we talk, think, focus on that element of at birth, um, there's cool ideas about baby bonds that are out there. How can we ensure that cost is not a barrier for someone to achieve their full academic potential? Um, that's something that's really intriguing. Another idea that was tested in the I3 program uh, called Will Be Done are what our credit can do to get in the game of ensuring that people can have a last will and testament. Over 50% of consumers don't have a last will and testament. For those low-income populations, if they're not able to pass that intergenerational wealth down to their children, that's another barrier that a lot of communities face about having a leg up in life. So what can credit unions do to help address some of those upstream issues? Great, thanks. We've got time for about one or two questions from the audience uh, before we wrap up as we want to be respectful of time. So give us your name, affiliation, and your question, and then keep the answers brief, guys. I'm Krishna Grishidi. I'm a digital strategy manager at QNA.org. Um, my question is, so every year I get to go to South by Southwest and just meet with designers from around the world. And you talk about the 60 seconds and six clicks. Uh, last year I talked to a gentleman from Shanghai. Those guys don't use credit cards. The only time they need a credit card or a debit card is when they come to the U.S. Uh, when they talk about technology and what they're doing, 
it was just it feels so far away from where we are today that is just mind-boggling like for example we have an 80 year old uh, gentleman who sells uh, groceries and they, they used to carry a bag of cash now they don't need it all they have to do is they just point a phone and they use their QR code to actually make a payment yeah uh, they don't get mugged they don't have to worry about who they are they don't need to know account numbers any of that stuff where are we like not just the credit union movement, financially, the yeah. finance industry. Yeah. yeah, so so anybody want to take that? Where are we on that continuum between uh, the Shanghai innovators and uh, the uh, analog world? That That's a big question. I'm going to answer just a piece of that question. I think something to be on the lookout for, and George, please correct me if I am wrong, is this idea of open banking. I think that's a big technology trend that is going to be coming to the U.S. here. Uh, potentially, it's happening in Europe already, and that's where uh, third party, the bank is required to share information with third parties, so people can basically log into one application to see everything that they need. Slightly different than the example that you're sharing, um, but I think that's a, a big actual direction that we're heading in. Yeah, great. Any other insights like uh, on a continuum? Where do you think we are from uh, zero, completely analog to 100? Uh, you know, like uh, Marty McFly in the, in the future. <laughs> Mark is not going to like my answer because he will be right in the middle, uh, 50. Yeah, um, you can't say you can't say right. 50 or 70, right? We're halfway there. 45. Okay. <laughs> 49. Okay. Um, the paper, if you're interested in learning more about what the alternatives are, uh, the author does a really good job on this 21st century deck to talk about what the path may look like, and one of the the things that they analyze is what ambient bank may may. Um, maybe the experience for members in the future, where banking be becomes this Alexa style, you don't think about it, it's something that just happens through your wrist, through your voice, uh, payments are being made, uh, systems know when, pay when payments are supposed to be due, when something happens, when an alert is necessary on your account, when you have to take action. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin your experience reading the report. But if you have a couple of minutes or hours this weekend, I would <laughs> download that paper. Or you can talk to the the, the oh. authors right there. So he's right in the back. So he'll he'll tell you everything. So you know, one of the the punchlines of of this research really quickly. Uh, first, from a regulatory perspective, some of the things that we discovered that really need modernization. From you know, like this this is the framework in which credit unions operate. Are these three things. Uh, and they're listed up here. Uh, and a lot of them, the uh, Credit Union National Association and other uh, advocates are working on. Um, increasing small business lending caps as the ch changing nature of work uh, occurs. Uh, exploring different sources of capital. The only, the only way that credit unions get capital is by making a profit. That's the only way. It's very different and it's very hard for credit unions to grow. Uh, and then the, the, the big thing is reimagining this whole concept of field of membership. We don't live in a place-based world anymore. People don't stay at their jobs for 35 years anymore. So we need to react uh, to that in a regulatory manner. And then, you know, that's the regulatory side. And then the business side is, is listed here. And uh, I'd like you to take a look at this really closely. And it just disappeared because uh, we really want you to go onto our website. And it's listed at filene.org slash 459, uh, report 459. Uh, there's a slide deck. There's an executive summary. There's a full report uh, for you to read. And we really encourage you to do that. Now, as, as we wrap up, uh, I'd really like to um, uh, thank uh, my colleagues, Adam, Lauren, Courtney, and Ellery, and uh, let's give them a quick round of applause.
they are they, they, they are the workhorses of, of Feline, and um, uh, you know they make our jobs easier. And what I'd like to do uh, as as we wrap up, we've got about five minutes left, uh, is to invite uh, Mark Meyer, our CEO, up uh, to the stage, uh, along with uh, our new Chief Experience Officer, Christy Kimball. You guys get to this is her this is her coming out or debutante, um, and uh, and thank you guys uh, again. And they're going to offer some concluding remarks. So thanks a lot, Christy. Thank you, Mark. Let's give him a round of applause. So I will, uh, I will be very brief, and I will give the floor to Christy with her uh, debut. But I wanted to leave you with this. 30 years ago, uh, three organizations came together. Uh, Cuna Mutual Group, Credit Union National Association, and the state leagues through a group called uh, ACUL, the American Association of Credit Union Leagues, to, to find an organization that would ask the tough questions, that would seek truth, and that would think forward. And uh, that was the Filene Research Institute. And it has grown from a small but uh, mighty team of one individual to 30, uh, doing this work uh, on behalf of credit unions, but on behalf of your organization, to change members' lives. So uh, thank you as uh, part of that founding group for your support of Filene. Give yourselves a hand. Thanks. As you look forward in where we're going and what's happening, you heard sort of there's kind of three things top of mind what we've heard from credit unions. And we've aligned all of this research, all of this incubation and product testing, and these communities to really kind of thematically look at what it's gonna take in a time of great accelerating uh, change. It's a super time to be alive, but boy, did you hear it? It's quickening. The pace continues to quicken. So how do we prepare our institutions to survive and to thrive in that environment? Second thing, so we, we look at that and this notion of growth. If you're not growing, you're dying. So how do you enable these organizations to grow? And finally, what it's going to take. You can have all this money. You can have a great idea. But if you don't have the capital, the human talent, the leadership to move it forward, how are you going to win? So that is sort of on the horizon when you kind of look through our product portfolio and you think about what's coming out of Filene. It really is around what's next in the 21st century, the notion of growth and leadership. With that said, we want you to come play with us. We have this great chief experience officer. I'm going to get out of her way and she's going to tell you how you can soak up all this stuff over the weekend and in the weeks ahead. Christy? Hello. So this is a perfect example of the chief experience officer. Mark told us it's our 30-year anniversary, thanks very much to the organizations that are here. We bring it to life with cupcakes outside. And so it's a small example, but really what we try to do is make sure that insights become very actionable and that you have a resource that's available to you because you're all members. So every single one of you can go to our filing website today, um, log in, you're already members and have access to the details that we just barely touched the surface of today. So that's our gift back to you. But I would also say that with all of the change that we are experiencing, the thing that doesn't go away is the need for human connection and the need for access. And so one of the ways that we provide the access to you is through the research and the membership, but we have lots of ways to engage and to connect through our organization. And I hope if you don't know us very well, you use this opportunity to try and get to know us better. So great to meet you all. I'm looking forward 
forward to working with you over the next few years and hopefully future to make huge impacts because there's a big need out there and we are the team and the people here to deliver it. So congratulations, happy birthday to us all and we hope you enjoy a cupcake. <laughs> So, Christy, I think you lost something. Oh, it's my jumping ear. Yeah, so um, just just the last thing, folks. Just wanted to, to kind of uh, touch on what Christy has just said. If you're really if you're interested in, in downloading uh, this report, you can go to filene.org slash 459, and we've got some special treats out for you for uh, spending a little bit of time with us, and we really appreciate you. And we'll we'll be around here for the for the next few hours if you just want to have a have a coffee and just sit down and chat with us. So thanks a lot for coming out, and have a great day. All right, folks, we are done. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please do rate us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch about anything you heard here, email me at hollyf at filene.org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time, thanks everyone. (laughs) 